0: hearts and be a blessing to us, both now and forever. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've often heard the saying that all that glitters is not gold, or that you can't judge a book by its cover. And what we mean by that, of course, is that what we see on the outside is not necessarily reflected on the inside. And one of the reasons that we're supposed to you know, go after all for periodic checkups. is because while we may look good on the outside, and we might even say that we feel good, uh, something might be happening on the inside that is not so good. Uh, we, we hear of uh, the disease of, of high blood pressure being the silent killer, right? Because while we may be feeling well, our, our blood pressure may be causing us trouble within. When the Lord Jesus spoke his sermon on the mount, one of the things that he taught was that there was more to the commandments, as we saw last time, than what oftentimes meets our eyes. As people, as believers in Jesus Christ, those are the things that we need to be able to diagnose for our own spiritual welfare, for time and for eternity lest we catch ourselves with a false sense of security. So tonight we're going to be reminded of that as well in light of God's grace to us in Christ as we focus on the seventh commandment that reminds us on a positive plane that in God's kingdom, God's people, in light of God's grace, are called to purity, called to chastity, called to a clean life. Jesus teaches about the seventh commandment, he reminds us to look beyond the external and the temporal, and temporal when considering that call to purity, and also to consider that to live purity, uh, purely is to honor marriage, as God has so prescribed it, whether we are married or whether we are not. So we think about how Jesus calls us to look beyond the external, which is our first point tonight, when we consider purity. when which we express in response uh, to the catechism. This is one of those passages where we hear again Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He, he says it early in our passage regarding adultery, and he says it late in our passage regarding divorce. And when Jesus says that you've heard it said that you are not to commit adultery, he is, of course, not denying the truth of that commandment. He's just elaborating on it. Because what Jesus had to be concerned about, in part, was that there were people who were thinking that you know only the marital, unfaithful physically had to worry about the commandment. And if that were so, well, there could be those who could claim uh, a little bit, kind of like what you see in the Sixth Commandment, that they have this measure of self-righteousness about them that would downplay the need of a Savior, at least in this area. In part, then, Jesus is concerned about rooting out the idea of self-righteousness. That's part of the reason for the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not just, after all, the person who's committed adultery, after all, physically, outwardly, let's say extramaritally, that has sinned. Because Jesus makes the point that sexual sin is something that can happen even when no one has committed a physical act. The very fact that we we look at and we think about somebody as an object of illicit desire and sexual misuse uh, makes us guilty of the sin of adultery within. Jesus then, you see, gets to the root of the problem again, right? And it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. We make that confession in the catechism when we say that God forbids everything which incites Unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talks, thoughts, or desire. One of the reasons that Jesus mentions that he does uh, this as he does is because he wants all people to realize that if they think that they're they're, they're pretty decent people in and of themselves, kind of like with again the sixth commandment, we "Well, I haven't killed anybody, so I must be a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal," uh, then if we think that way about ourselves and our own power and our natural uh, virtue, then then we've got another thing coming. Because when you get to the root of the problem of sexual sin, which is the heart, then you realize that that there's no one who can claim self-righteousness. It's just not possible. Everyone's in need of coming with penitence before the Lord. Pleading and Seeking the grace of the Lord, and thankfully there there is that right always. It's 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 a great thing to be able to, to see that there is how should we say a, a fruitfulness in being penitent. There there's there's not a hopelessness about being penitent, right? When it comes to our sinful hearts, not only is everybody in need of seeking pardon, there is pardon to be found. Lest we grow despairingly in our grief because we think there is no grace to be found. No, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God because he will freely pardon. Those who realize that that they are not rich in heart because of their righteousness, but poor in heart are in need of the grace of God. And blessed are those who see that. And that's, of course, part of the the Beatitudes that we read. God provides such grace because of the righteousness of Christ. Uh, To those who see from the teaching of Jesus that nobody can claim self-righteousness on the basis of their ability to keep the commandments, including the seventh and... And there's something to be said about that fact that if that is a commitment of sin that happens there, it is not the unpardonable sin, Uh, it is a sin too that can be forgiven by the grace of God. When we've come to know that grace in our lives, in Jesus Christ, the teaching of Jesus that goes beyond the external, continues to be a blessing to us. It guides us in, in, in how we are to be relating ourselves to other people. Uh, because we hear a different drumbeat out in the world that way, right? We, we hear about how sex sells and how people will use that means uh, to sell their products in all sorts of ways. Uh, we know that the illicit use of what the Lord created for the good of his own and for the glory of his name is an economy of itself. Maybe as much as ever in our day and age and in the digital age in which we live on various levels of, of what people call entertainment. It sells tickets, it sells subscriptions, it sells computers, it sells phones, it sells iPads, it sells televisions. What motivates such selling is what's at the root of adultery, and that selfishness. It's a basic selfish spirit. It's not so much about what we need, but about what we want. What we want regardless of what the Lord wants of us and commands of us. You know, when we lust, we want of others merely for our selfish ends. We're not concerned about anybody else. We're not concerned about love, Uh, though we may claim that we are, and people like to say that they are, but that's because people, again, have a perverted idea of what love is. We're more concerned about what we can get than what we can give, and we have that more of that ice cream mentality of love, that we love a certain kind of ice cream or all kinds of different ice creams, And, and our love is not so much about what we can give as what it is that we can consume. We're more concerned not for our neighbor but for us, for ourselves. And so, lust is is connected to coveting, right? Our our neighbor's wife, for instance, or coveting whatever belongs to my neighbor. And of course, then that gets you know that just sees, shows us again the breadth of of all these commandments can go with us. Maybe even my neighbor himself or herself. But it's all about me. The change of heart is needed to be sure. And for those of us called to a sanctified life in light of God's uh, justification of us in Jesus Christ, it's a progression that's needed in relating to people in a respectful manner. And the ways that the Lord would have us relate to them. Not as a, as our objects of... Uh, of illicit pleasure, but as those who are to be loved in accordance with God's commands, in light of, of Christ's own way of loving. Not treating others as our servants or slaves uh, to meet our selfish ends, but as those who are served by us. If, if we, if again, we take that approach, like we heard this morning, if we're more concerned about what God wants us to be doing, we'll be less concerned. Uh, About wanting just simply what we want. Because after all, that's the Christ like way. Christ came not to be served in any way, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's love. Right? God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish. God, who demands our all, nevertheless is that one who shows us, as does his Son, as does his Spirit, what it really means to love. What Jesus wants us to be doing in light of his grace is to be gracious in other words. With a gracious spirit, purity is promoted. That's how it goes. If you're not looking out for yourself, then unchastity can't get close to the door. With a gracious spirit, when you're you're more concerned about what you're able to give than what you're going to be getting, you can't help but but promote purity in the light of God's grace. If you're willing to die for your wife and live for your husband, then then you will all the more promote purity in in your own life. That's, that's how it is. That's how God wants it. If you're looking for a way to be more pure, live like that, sacrificially. And that, of course, you know, if you're not a, a husband or you're not a wife, that doesn't discount you in whatever way that, that that can happen for you. When you're looking out for others rather than looking out for yourself, you're going to promote purity. You're going to promote integrity. If honoring my father and my mother is important to me, then I'll promote purity in my life all the more. If I'm I'm worried, if I'm concerned about doing that, that's in my mind because I I hear God in his grace and in his commandments telling me to do that, then then my life will be all the more pure before the sight of God. I'll, I'll live a more sanctified life that way if I treat my brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and the family of faith exactly like that, then I'll promote purity in my life. It's in the family where marriage is, is honored in Christ that I can get taught and not not only to treat my family members with respect, but then also all those with whom I come in contact with respect. Again, it reminds me, as I think about these things too, when we're, you know, when we are husbands and wives and we're our mothers and fathers, what an impact it has on our children, when they can look at us and see how we are treating each other. because they're watching, and when they're, they're going to watch for the good or the bad. A good role model, bad role model, but they're going to be watching and it's going to have an impact for generations to come. And sometimes, you know, when we're living out our lives and we're living as as parents and we're living as spouses, sometimes we lose sight of that. You know, we we heard this morning song, Be Thou My Vision, being played, right? And sometimes we need that vision uh, to think beyond the moment and think about generations to come, the impact that... What we do has today on tomorrow, not to forget, of course, eternity as well, but how we treat each other in accordance with the purification and the sanctification and the, 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 the callings to chastity, the callings to carry out our roles well in the Christian household, don't just have an impact for that spot. It has an impact for the ages, and we should remember that. family life is truly important that way. Jesus' teaching here is not, of course, then just about the external, is it? It's about a purity that doesn't just show itself outwardly, but one that's being renewed daily in the heart. To a purer attitude, a purer heart, a more sincere life, a more unadulterated life, less phony, less fake, more truthful, more genuine, it's a calling for us to be all the more the way that God has been to us in Christ, loving, faithful, pure, calling to integrity, and uh, that involves sexual sin, but it's also a call to be trustworthy and faithful and loyal and pure in the In all areas of our lives, and there is no advantage to live otherwise, as Jesus makes clear. There is simply no advantage to impurity. The devil likes to think that there likes likes to tempt us to think there is. Jesus tells us to keep that in mind, and to do so by looking not only beyond the external, but also beyond the temporal. Jesus talks in these terms and other ways in the Sermon on the Mount. People who pray and fast for everyone to see uh, for everyone to see on the outside, well, they have the reward, and it's temporal. There are those who are selfishly storing up treasures on earth, the temporal. But they're not storing up treasures in heaven with a generous spirit in light of God's riches to them in Christ. In that same spirit, Jesus comes with the warning of living in peace. Purely with no concern about that impurity. Because when you're keeping the seventh commandment, you're recognizing that destructive alternative, aren't you? You're, you're looking beyond the temporal. Could have called that second point that too, looking beyond, not only the external, looking beyond the temporal, but it's recognizing the destructive alternative. When you have no concern about your impurity, you aren't offended by what your hand and eye has done. You have no remorse. You have no concern about what that behavior has done to others. What it's made them. What it's caused them uh, to become. You don't think that you've done anything wrong. And that's the problem with impenitence in general, isn't it? I haven't done anything wrong. She had it coming to her. I couldn't help myself. I don't care if I I could help myself. It's the way that I am. There's no offense. And on top of this, of course, is the emphasis of of our lives on the moment instead of momentous judgment. And that's what the seventh commandment can so often become, right? It's just a momentary uh, uh, thrill. And it has no concern for what, comes eternally. In one way, of course, the Lord calls us to live for the day because each day has enough trouble on its own, and he talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount as well. But on the other hand, when we live for the moment, and not for eternity in mind, and have no vision that way, it's, it's an offensive way to live for today. And if it persists, it has its consequences for eternity. Gratitude for God's grace is the chief motivation for living in purity. But if we long for eternity as those who belong to Christ, the best way that we can do that is not by the momentary pleasures of sin, but in pleasing the Lord in the moment with a view for eternity. We're going to want to do whatever it takes to remove those offenses. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That do nothing more than that make our lives more complicated for us, both now and, and forever. To do whatever it takes for us to live all the more purely in our lives. Jesus is not necessarily telling us to start chopping our hands off and get out the swords and that sort of thing, but you get what his point is. If we have to deprive ourselves of things, and oh, how hard that can be today, to deprive oneself of things, in order that we might live more purely, then we need to deny ourselves and, and take up our cross and follow Him. Because what's more important? The moment? Or living purely before the Lord? Or having the things of this world for a short time? And they will be a short time. Now, we want to progress in our purity. We want to, uh, that's the gist of Jesus' teaching here, where it comes to living in purity before the face of God in light of his grace. If your hand offends you, if uh, whether it's your eyes or whatever it might be, uh, better to gouge them out, better to cut them off than to go to hell because living purely before the Lord didn't matter. Living purely is also going to involve honoring marriage. As the Catechism says, whether we're married or not married, Jesus points out one aspect of this with regard to the issue of divorce. Not the only place that we hear about divorce, uh, to be sure, in the scriptures, but this is one of them. And in Jesus' time and even before him, wives were abused by being divorced by their husbands for every reason under the sun even for being a bad cook, burning the meal, trivial things. And so Jesus speaks to us here to curb and to protect. Marriage was being dishonored, just like marriage is being dishonored today in many, many different ways. It's not just through sexual sin and marital unfaithfulness that marriage was being dishonored. It was being trivialized by giving divorce for trivial reasons. Jesus' teaching was to remind people that such dishonor was not the way that those who confess God's faithfulness to his spiritual bride in Christ were supposed to treat marriage. A reflection of that faithfulness and forgiveness that God bestows upon his people. And again, that it just goes to show you uh, how important it is when we're thinking about our relationships to not forget about God when we're thinking about them. Particularly, that, particularly not in the marriage state that's supposed to be, is indeed a picture of the faithfulness and the forgiveness that God has bestowed upon his people in Jesus Christ, the faithful bridegroom of his bride, the church. And so God and Christ are certainly not going to fall for or promote such a liberal, worldly view of divorce. Jesus indeed instead limits it. And he does so here for the sake of the woman who would otherwise be unjustly divorced. And he does so in this spot in order to promote forgiveness in the marriage state. And he does so to head off unrighteous remarriages that would result in adulterous acts, as our passage speaks about. For those who were illegitimately divorced and for those who would marry them would become involved adulterously. It was not that there were not grounds for divorce, that Passage here speaks to that. Jesus mentions that there are grounds for legitimate divorces on the basis of what our passage calls sexual immorality. The word that's uh, used there is porneia, which you, I'm sure, when you hear that word, uh, you think of pornography, right? It is sexually, it's a, it's a crazy thing, right? You know, when you think about pornography, that it is the graphic, it is the the ways in which people are able to see illicit sexuality occurring. Well, that in itself should just show you how bad that is, right? But that's, that's the word that's being used. Sexual sins involving physical contact with others on various levels. And such acts, as much as liberal divorce, of course, dishonor marriage. And they threatened to tear apart what God has joined together. But even here, Jesus was not promoting uh, sexual immorality as the irreconcilable and unforgivable sin. He was simply trying to teach in general, as the seventh commandment promotes, and this is what needs to be stressed in our society, this is what needs to be stressed in our homes, that marriage is supposed to be honored with fidelity, along with forgiveness, and the seeking of forgiveness by people who have confessed that they have known and that they appreciate and that they value the fidelity and the forgiveness of God in their own lives in Jesus Christ as part of his bride and that was something that the people in that day and that is something in the people in our day need to hear this is the way to which we're called to live Before a gracious God, to be sure, but a holy one. All the time. Every new day that the Lord gives to us. If we believe that Christ has been so faithful to us. So also should we live then in that holy reverence in our homes. And when we consider marriage itself. We need to come to that with that same kind of reverence. And that's the way we want to live when we've come to see and believe all the more that from the inside out, body and soul, the righteousness of Christ has purified us with His righteous redemption of our faithful lives or of our, of our, of our lives on the cross by his blood, this faithful bridegroom of his bride. We could never purify ourselves that way on our own. All of us fall short of that. Nobody could claim self-righteousness. But when we've known or, or have been reminded of that purification in our lives... When we know that we've been forgiven. May God help us all the more to do whatever it takes to live out our lives in God's kingdom in the purity. That purity that declares, whether we're married or not, that we believe that we've been purified. By our faithful and forgiving Jesus Christ. And we want to be like him. Because what he's been for us has made a difference for us for time and for eternity. For the moment and for a momentous eternity with our God, with our Savior as part of his bride. Church of Jesus Christ. Amen.